It might be another Manic Monday, but you're listening to another edition of the Icy Takes Podcast with Jeff and Big Dave. Jeff, it's been, I don't know how it's been in your area, but it has been raining nonstop. I was on the road constantly for work, dealing with this rain, and when I get home, I was so tired. I think the rain had something to do with it that you had to wake me up to uh, get us going for the show. But Jeff, how are you? Yeah, I was about uh, two minutes away from just, like, not following up with anything, just putting out a tweet, hey, no show today, we might do one tomorrow, because David can't wake up. But you woke up, and we're here we are, so. It was a glorious nap, too. Like, yeah, I, that's I, what you said. I, I told you before the show that it was, it was one of those moments when, and you know, it's dark uh, after, like, 5 o'clock with being in winter or close to winter now and being in a dark room and when I got the phone call I thought oh my god I gotta wake up for work again and then I saw the time and it just suddenly all came together <laughs> <laughs> yeah that it, we were discussing too that you said that you kind of kept it under an hour so you should be good to even get your full night's sleep tonight too after uh, you edit the show and everything so uh, that'll uh, be good for you I'm excited to go back to bed, and I'm not saying this because of the show. I'm saying just because of how great that nap felt. <laughs> I'm ready for it. Like it's a, uh, it's like warm up for, uh, you know, for for baseball batting practice or you know, right. getting the warm up skate for hockey. Like there you that's go. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Now you just got to refine that comfort zone. Now that's oh, the only yeah. tough part. Exactly. Well, my one cat comes back in the same spot. It'll work. There so. you go. It, there you it, go. It's in a nice spot, not on top of me. Um, but, but yeah, let's just get to it, huh? Um, I know that we've been discussing the hockey first off, and rightfully so, but I think we decided to switch it up here a little bit. And, you know, we didn't really see the first signing from, you could say, the big two last year in the free agency until March. When Manny Machado signed with the Padres, uh, we don't have to wait any longer for the number two guy to be signed in free agency because Steven Strasburg stayed with the Washington Nationals, the World Series MVP. He was drafted by the Nationals in 2010. He gets a big contract with the Nationals at seven-year, $245 million. Jeff, that's, that's not incorrect. That is... That is how much money Steven Strasburg will be ma- will be making around thirty one and a half million dollars a year. Um, so let me let me present this to you. There's a couple questions that we can go over, but how about the first one, which is you know how impressive is it that the Nationals pulled off a deal to keep Strasburg? Um, I would say it's more impressive on what Steven Strasburg did to the Nationals because. He was on track for another four years at $100 million left on the contract that he opted out after his MVP playoff season and, um, you know, pretty much gave himself, he said it's, what, $31 million that, that, that it averages out to. So he basically gave himself a $6 million raise by just opting out of that contract. Um, go ahead. Uh, no, I was about to say that the progression at – what Steven Strasburg was building up to to get to this moment. It was kind of a risk, but you saw the writing in the wall that 
no matter what, he's going to get more than what he was projected to get over the next four years by opting out of that contract and heading into the free agency. Yeah, and I think the curious thing here was there ever really any um, any competition from the outside, or was this just a matter of redoing a deal that the Nationals kind of owed this guy? After- well, so I was going to wait till later, but we can do it now. I think this was a great strategy by the Nationals in when and what kind of deal they they put together for Strasburg. Because over the weekend, it was reported that the New York Yankees had offered Garrett Cole the same contract, and Garrett Cole being the number one overall free agent, where no matter what, he'll, he'll be getting his money. And it was kind of a game of chess or checkers last year between Harper and Machado to see who would go first so the other one would get more, whether it's more per year or more on the length of the contract, what have you. But I think that the Nationals putting out the statement from the owner saying, we cannot keep both Rendon and Strasburg, hearing that offer for Garrett Cole and giving that money to Steven Strasburg, I think this was a great play to get Strasburg at what was supposed to be Garrett Cole level because now Garrett Cole's price just went up. See, this is where I I think this is where you and me kind of start to disagree is that I think with the Yankees coming out and saying, we'll pay whatever for Garrett Cole. We don't care. (coughs) Excuse me. We don't care what everybody else does. We're pretty much giving Garrett Cole a blank check and whatever it takes to get him there. That made that that pressured the Nationals to, okay, how high do we need to go on Steven Strasburg before, you know, we start getting too close to three hundred million dollars? Because I think both these guys easily could be three, three hundred million dollar pitchers, um, and luckily the Nationals, like you said, they they had a figure of where Garrett Cole was probably going to be at before all these statements came out from each side, and I think. They said, okay, if Garrett Cole is going to get 245 before anything's even announced, let's get, let's get Strasburg there now, and that way we don't, we're not going any higher or anything else. So I think it was more of a they were trying to keep that as low as they thought they possibly could by getting either, either one of the pitchers, whether it was Garrett Cole or Steven Strasburg. So – how about the, you could say, the Nationals almost making sure that they do get one of these two players between Anthony Rendon and Steven Strasburg, players that they both drafted and were pivotal, pivotal pieces in their playoff run, whether it's Strasburg on the mound or Rendon with any at-bat eighth inning or later in the game getting on base and making sure it's an extra base hit if he does um, draw a hit there. But when it comes to the, the free agency, now it's now it comes down to who can we afford to give it more money to. We've seen the Yankees in L.A. just throw out money like there's no tomorrow. Do you think with D.C. being the metropolitan area that it is, can they be one of the top five dogs that – 
are able to throw out money like this and possibly even keep Anthony Rendon after a deal like the one they had with Strasburg? I don't think so. And I think that luxury, the luxury tax is what's going to keep them from that is that I think DC, yes, they're a very big metro market, kind of like New York, um, LA, Boston. But I think they're like that step lower where, yes, they can spend a lot of money, but they still have to keep that farm system going. And when you go through that, that luxury tax, you get costed that first round pick, which, you know, some, some Yankee fans are kind of worried about that, that um, how high is Garrett Cole going to drive up that payroll where they end up losing that first-round pick, which some people would say it's not a big deal for the New York Yankees, but maybe for the Washington Nationals, losing that first-round pick and replenishing the cupboard as much as they, they often do. Um, I mean, look at the guys, like you said, they, they drafted and developed Anthony Rendon, Steven Strasburg. Um, Bryce Harper until last year. Juan Soto is another one that they were able to get up pretty quickly. So um, I I don't see Rendon sticking around in D.C. I think it might open talks, but I still think he's on the way out. And I I just don't see see them being able to keep two, especially after the statements that came out saying that they were preparing not to have both. And I know you were just saying you, you were disagreeing about that where it was maybe the the owner kind of calculating the move that but i think that it is still possible to keep rendon there but it would ultimately have to have anthony rendon take less than what he is probably being offered from other teams so one last thing about strasburg trying to keep it on there before we move on He's 31 years old, going to be 32 in July. So you are planning to have this guy until he is 39 years old. How much longer do you think he can perform up to that contract level? Because he's not going to pitch this well for the next seven years, and that's just what I think. But I think he probably has four more years to pitch at that level before it starts to drop off. I'm going to give him the extra year of five. Um, the only reason I'm thinking this and people might think I'm nuts and I may be overthinking this, but if you remember all the way back when he first came in and the nationals were trying to make playoff pushes and they, they limited his innings. That's when the pitch count thing started becoming a thing. Um, I think at this point, this is what the nationals were preparing for is that, this guy's going to be with us for life, and he's going to. We're going to need him past thirty and and longer. So I think he's got five, maybe six years because they were able to control control and shut him down early in his career for the later uh, half of his career. And you know, I think he's got. I, I'd say five or six. To to pitch at that at that level, you think? Yes, yes. Okay, all right. So and 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 to that to that level, I would when you say that level, I would say at least be the the front ace of that staff. Even with Scherzer there. Yes. Wow. Okay. Uh, that is some 
says some bold words coming from a bold man. But is, so. isn't that, but again, when you draft a guy and hype him up as much as they did and treat him with kid gloves as much as they did, is that not what you prepared this kid for at that point? I mean, he's not obviously not a kid anymore, but at the time, yeah. that's what you were preparing him for was to make sure you had the longevity of Steven Strasburg, not from 19 to 28, and then he takes off. You, you, you shut him down and you controlled his innings pitched and how many pitches he threw and starts so you could have him past 35 years old at an elite level. I'd say to maybe not to what he did this past season. To <laughs> where if you if you ever see a complete body of work in an entire season by Steven Strasburg, it has been consistent. It's never been uh, to a point where people kind of get over infatuated with how well he's pitching in an entire season. It's just what he did in that postseason is what everyone expected him to do. Uh, and I think what has also helped him is having Max Scherzer in front of him. For him to be, if he's the full-on ace on almost what is, we'll just say a rough guess of 25 other teams where if he were to be on that team, he would be the ace regardless um, I think having Scherzer in front of him has helped him approach each game and maybe even take off the weight of, you know, I, based off the rotation, I'm not the guy, but I'm I'm pretty damn close to replacing him if anything gets hurt on Max Scherzer. If anything goes wrong with him, I can step up into that role. So I think that's kind of helped him get to this point and what he did in this postseason and now, seven years, $245 million later, he is raking it in. Yeah, do you think – let me ask you this uh, before we move on. Is uh, is their rotation now just a 1A and 1B? It's not a 1-2? Yeah, I mean, it, it's – I thought it was like that last year just because of how, how well they both pitched, or at least in down, during certain stretches, how well they both pitched. But – yeah, it's a one A one B. It's it's not a solidified. He is much better than him, and that's why he's number one. He's number two. It's a one A one B. Yeah. Okay. Just yeah. Just wanted to make sure we're on the same page. Let okay, us know man. what you yeah. think. Sorry about that. Let us know what you think. And is it worth the Nationals' money? Is it worth any money to keep a player like this, um, especially past age thirty? Even though he's on the mound for the most of the time, for the most part. Let us know at Icy Takes uh, on the social medias, Facebook, Twitter, anything else that you can think of, even our own personal Twitters. Um, but Jeff, did we have what? Did you have an order of what we were going on in baseball, or no? Nah, whatever you wanted okay. to talk about, right. I, I figured I'd get hand over the reins to you on baseball. Oh my goodness! Look at you, just letting me do whatever the hell I want. It's scary. And you, I come up with the schedule, and then you put everything out and edit it. So. Your okay, show, so, so this is something that we haven't talked about because I still don't even think I'm educated enough to put out that that slap opinion like, hey, you know, put it on the wall. This is what I think about it. And also that it it was a developing story and it still kind of is. But the MLB a while ago, maybe a month and a half ago, had made an announcement that there was a possibility that they would cut 42 minor league teams in the entire pipeline. And 
it's not necessarily that they were going to cut one from each team, one from each MLB team. Um, there was just a variety, just based off teams that really haven't, I guess, performed well in bringing in, bringing in the tickets. That's basically it. Having people attend the game and for these teams to basically, some of them, if you look, barely draw a crowd. Um, I know one of them, and it was a league that I interned for. It wasn't the team that I was on, but we were one of these proposed teams that is looking to get cut. Um, you have a team as historic as the the Hagerstown Suns in Hagerstown, Maryland, where they have the same stadium since 1930, and they can only hold about 3,000 at max, and they're probably actually averaging and not just the markup with any place that does attendance. They probably average 150 people on a, on a regular night with no promotion or anything like that. So before I keep explaining this situation, and we don't know what we're talking about. Do you think Jeff, that the MLB maybe created too big of a pipeline, too big of an industry for what is happening to stay afloat for the future? I I think it is. I think the, the road to Major League Baseball is incredibly way too long. I mean, um, you got guys. How long is the draft now? Let's just start from the draft. The draft is what, 50 40, rounds or something? 40 rounds, 50 rounds. Yeah, 40, I mean. 50 rounds. So you're already on a long wait there to see if you're even selected somewhere. And then when you get drafted, you get sent to extended spring training, then low A, high A, <clears throat> eventually single A ball, double A, triple A. I mean, you're seven years into your career before you've even came close to major to making the show where you look at these other leagues, the NHL, I mean, you can go college or junior, then you go through seven rounds of the draft. Um, if you play junior, you might get an extra year of junior. Or if you played college in the States or in Europe, um, you can play in the AHL, then go to then you're at the NHL. It's kind of like a three step process pretty much. Um, basketball has a D League. They're kinda they're kind of building their minor league system, but um, for the most part it's kind of a one step process. Um, football, they don't have a minor league system. They kinda go through college, seven rounds of a draft and then you kind of cut and sign undrafted free agents and whatnot. So I, I think out of the four major sports, it's a little bit too extended. Um, as far as um, cutting these teams, um, does baseball have like a – does their play, players association go through everybody in the minors or is that just set up with – guys in, that make the major leagues or, or are on yeah, the I'm um, pretty sh- major league I'm pretty contract. sure it, it mainly focuses on the players with MLB contracts. Okay. Because, because there is a, a person who, I don't want to say is the governing body. Um, I, I, I believe his name is uh, Pat O'Connor, who's basically the head of minor league baseball, who would essentially be the the do all person for minor league baseball, which is basically being the liaison for in between talks with MLB and what they can do to you know help out their minor league teams because there's so many different deals that go on with the major league teams and affiliations where all these af- affiliates sign contracts 
with the MLB team whether the team has a 2% stake, but they're signing a 10-year contract to say, we want you to be our AAA affiliate. You know, you're you're close to us with for mileage that if we need to call anyone up that we can just bring them over and not have to worry about travel. Um, and then there's teams like the Atlanta Braves that like to put ownership in their minor league teams. They, there's teams like uh, the one that uh, I can think of off the top of my head is the Rome Braves. So, I mean, there's no, there's no, there's nothing creative that you can do when it comes to like jersey design and everything else, as some minor league teams can do, where it's the Atlanta Braves also run the Danville Braves, the Rome Braves. So there's so many different deals that get done with that. I think that there's the MLB Players Association, uh, I think his name, the leader is uh, Kevin Clark, and he isn't really associated with uh, what goes on with that. Um the ML, the MLB and the MILB are essentially, I want to say, different governing bodies. Is that the MILB and the MLB set these contracts to be affiliates? Um, but and you were saying it that there is so much to go through usually when it comes to making the the show in the MLB. When you get drafted in June, I know that just to get the length of the MLB schedule underneath your feet after just playing college ball, which is half a season. They like to get you in the short season ball, which starts at the end of June and goes until mid August. And then if they're good enough to play the last two, three weeks in uh, single, single a low a they'll, they'll shoot them there. And then it low a high a double a triple a, it could be years uh, as a number one pick to finally make it to the big show. I mean, Steven Strasburg, I want to say, took maybe two years to get to the, the majors. And even that seems like an anomaly now to where what some of these players have to go through to get to the show. Um, but overall, what do you, I mean, I don't want to say what you foresee, but you know, there are... It's not only just about these teams that are going to be cut for the players. These are people's jobs who run this team, the general managers who are you know, just on with sales 24-7. You, you hire these interns that look to get more experience to get to another step in their level in the, in the careers that they're looking to get with baseball. Um, so there's a lot of jobs here at stake. So what is your opinion on that to have what would essentially be over one third of the teams being cut just from MLB. I see this being a big, big fight um, just because, like you said, there's a lot of jobs. And even looking past to um, not just GM or baseball operations guys, you got, you got ushers, you got janitors, you have um, concession stand guys, vendors. I mean, you got a lot of people that you're cutting jobs from that, I wouldn't say rely on those jobs, but um, but it's still part of their income. And for MLB baseball, just say, yeah, we're just going to cut all these guys out of here. I I have a tough time thinking that a the commissioner of baseball is going to be okay with that. And 
with these towns being okay with that because, um, you know, a lot of these teams, it's the only thing that they have in town, especially in a place like the Southern League where you got, you know, like like Jackson, Mississippi. Like, that's that's got to be the only thing in Jackson outside of college football, right? It, so, most likely. So, I mean, I mean, these it's it's a night out. I mean, I know the attendance isn't there, but um, I don't know. I just think this is going to be a harder fight than what uh, the executives who want to do these cuts think it's it's going to be. And I know part of the reason that they want to do these cuts is to essentially <laughs> improve the the quality of or not equality, the just the overall quality of what the players are going through to get to the majors because some of the fields aren't aren't good. There, there's just no other way to put it. They, right. It's they, it's, it's it's like the equivalent of playing at like Penn Trafford High School. Exactly. You know, you got you got a pretty even fence out that's probably about four hundred foot and it's probably about fifteen foot high. Yeah. So there's some of these places that really need to be redone. And you know, I like to I lo- I love to use Hagerstown as this example. They're they're one of I believe three teams in the in the pipeline that don't have an electric an electronic scoreboard. They have somebody out in the outfield flipping the numbers for runs, hits, and errors. It's cool to watch, but at the same time, that's another job that you have to pay to sit out there and sometimes what might be 100-degree weather in the summer to pay attention to anything that's a hit, walk, or anything that's a hit, run, or an error. Um, so I... I see why the MLB is doing it, but I disagree with how they're approaching it. Um, I think the MLB who has been profiting, they're, they're like their net profit over the last five years has gone up. So they're not losing money can easily step in and help some of these teams, even though they, they might not be uh, 100% uh, affiliated with the team that they signed the contract with. Um, the West Virginia power when they were with the pirates, whenever I was there that the one summer, the pirates had a 2% stake in them. So not often did you have to deal with anyone from the pirates when it came to, you know, how's our field looking? They didn't care about that. They were just worried about the players. So they might've cared how the field was looking for some of these players. Um, but there, there's more that can be done by the MLB and we're just, a scratch in the surface with this, Jeff, um, with this story. Um, there's more to, to go over. We can kind of go over it in the weeks to come to see where we're at at this point. But I think it's, I think it's wrong, but the MLB created this problem on its own and I see why they're trying to fix it, but it's wrong with how they're trying to approach it. Yeah. I think they're kind of, for a lack of a better phrase, I should say, um, they kind of made their own bed and now they kind of have to live with it, right? Because, I, I, again, you're not just taking a baseball team out of a town. You're taking jobs out of that, those towns. And, I mean, it, I, I think if they, if they were to do that, I think that is a tough, tough look on um, – on Major League Baseball, if they would take, I, I mean, even if they would 
would you say even if they would cut that number even in half, that it's not as bad, but to take 42 teams out of small towns that have all those jobs and everything, um, I think if you cut it in half, it's not as bad. It's still a tough look, but it's not as bad as, you know, 42. I mean, yeah, I, like, like you said, you worked in, in those uh, as an intern with the West Virginia Power. How many people do you think they had on staff for a game day? If everyone showed up, like if nobody had to take a day off, um, you could say just with the the part time help, so concessions, seating, or like being an usher, um, box office, and even cameramen that helped helped out with what I did, you could say seventy people, and that and that's for home games, and that was just. Strictly for home games, and to have when you don't have that help, you don't have the product. So yeah, it was it was phenomenal to see how many people would you know say, hey, you know, I want to do it to either be a part of this team or I do need a second job, and this helps out during the summer. So yeah, you I would say seventy people, and that would be eliminated from them. So if you take those seventy people and you multiply that by. 42, you get 2,940 jobs. Look at that math. Um, that's almost 3,000 jobs that you were just swiping under. And, and again, like you said, a lot of these people do this as a second job or in small towns that, you know, maybe there's not a lot of big opportunity there. So that's kind of like a, a stepping stone that maybe you weren't good enough to be on the field and be, be in a, on a major league team on the field. But you're trying to get that stepping stone behind the scenes. And maybe maybe one day a guy that's, you know, like you said, doing an intern working as a camera guy ends up making it to Major League Baseball as a camera guy working for AT&T Sports because he started in Wheeling or West Virginia or wherever. So I just think this is a very, very tough look for Major League Baseball if they would, if they would scratch these out. Um, I, I really hope they don't for those people's sake, but at the other, at the other side of things, and this is, I know I'm kind of contradicting myself, but there's got to be a way to streamline getting prospects up to the majors as quickly as possible. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, like you said, the MLB and the MLB <laughs> kind of created this with how big the pipeline is, but I think right now it's, it can't really be adjusted with and it and if it does it can't be this radical right away there's got to be a better way to approach it so um anything else for for baseball off the top of your head um i know that the winter meetings are going on right now and i've this is the first time in three years that i haven't been to the winter meetings i was looking for jobs but look uh, at you <laughs> oh uh, my it's in san diego brag. this year it's in San Diego this year. I really wanted to go, um, but you know, with the job that I have, didn't really work out. So, oh man, we out. I'm gonna give your GM a call tomorrow okay. and be like, "What the hell? Let him go to San Diego. There's not a training out there you kind of went to." Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's something out there. <laughs> so, all right, uh, I think. That's oh, about one it. more question. One more question before okay. we uh, before we go to hockey. Is Garrett Cole gonna make? $300 million, yes or no? I think no. and the But the only way that he'll get 300 mil is if they make it nine years 
on the contract. If it's short of nine years, I don't see him getting three hundred million. I think he is. I think with what they got Stras- what the Nationals got Strasburg at, and with Yankee ownership pretty much saying, "Here's a blank check. We'll do whatever we got to do." I think I, if you're Garrett Cole, how do you not just try and push the limits as much as possible, right? Oh, right. But I like I, if I'm if I'm him, I'm going. I want Bryce Harper money to the Yankees. And see if it's yes or no, and you go from there. Well, I mean, Bryce Harper money per year isn't that great. It's just the length of the contract, right? Right. But I, but you you go in and you say, I want three hundred thirty million. Figure out how to way to do it. If if the Yankees are that committed to say we'll do whatever it takes to get Garrett Cole in the Bronx, I think you take them for every penny you can, and see see how badly they want you. I'm gonna throw it. Uh, a big Dave prediction because oh, why man. not the, the way this, the way this off season's working so far and hopefully something happens from now until then or during our next show, he gets his, he gets the money that he wants, but in LA with the angels, I think that's where he ends up to. Yes. yes and you I, know, and you know what? I think if he goes to LA, he makes less than $300 million. Yes, he does. The only way he makes, that three hundred million is if he's playing in pinstripes. Okay, so let us know what you think. Um, you know about the MLB cutting minor league teams, Garrett Cole breaking the bank, uh, anything else like that. Uh, as far as I know, for baseball, that's all I got right now. So let's switch it on over. How about it? By the way, with those predictions too, you watch. He'll sign with like Arizona next week for like one year, twenty mil. Oh yeah, it'll be great. <laughs> like, it's just it'll like, be insane. One year, forty-four million. <laughs> right, and it's just like, oh, just suck on that one, you two. You guys suck. But well, all right, he listens to us. Yeah, uh, he probably would throw a tweet or something. I don't know. We have a lot of listeners, you know. Whatever major podcast. So, all right, we ready to go to hockey? It was my turn to take over the show. I think so. All right. Well, we had some big news. Uh, we had a co- another coaching firing, and this one was actually for. The on-ice product, not because of some guy saying terrible things or kicking players. It was, it was kind of cool, actually. Uh, John Hines, the New, New Jersey Devils, was relieved of their of his duties last week. Um, former Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguin and former Penguin during the X generation, Elaine Nazardine, uh, takes over for the New Jersey Devils behind their bench. Um, Dave, this was kind of a matter of time, wouldn't you say? Um. Yeah, because there wasn't really that much hype with the Devils as they were going to be the team to watch out for in the Eastern Conference. But they they had a lot of hype behind them to show that they're getting ready for this for this project within like three years. Um, maybe kind of rushing themselves into success, picking up P.K. Subban, getting Jack Hughes as the number one overall pick, and having Taylor Hall there as well. And nothing is working out for them on the ice. And you could maybe attribute that to to the coach. Um, but I, I think right now it might be talents that just aren't meshing and be una- being unable to maybe try to st- strategize around that or adjust lines. Or I, I, I couldn't tell you what is the first step to trying to fix what is wrong with the Devils right now? Because they're not supposed to be a playoff team this year. 
So I I don't see where you go at this point after the firing to right the ship. Um, so I, also, I just want to make sure that I heard that correctly, that you said it was kind of cool that we had a firing based off the, the performance on the ice. So I just didn't know if you were like pro bono on like pe- people getting fired at head coach. At, no, at head coach I NHL. just mean that like it's like a firing and like we don't have like three players coming out saying like, oh, my coach like punched me in the back of the head kind of thing. Like I just hockey. Throw, yeah, I just I, throw that out I, there. We we in the hockey world have taken kind of a black eye with a lot of the stuff that is uh, com- that has come out figuratively. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and um yeah get your jokes in little joke maker jokey so, um but I, I don't i don't see how this is going to be the overall right move for this team i you... think i think this is step one of their rebuild to be honest with you um i remember talking with a with some of my buddies and we were looking at like preseason making our predictions and a couple of them were really high on New Jersey. You got P.K. Subban. Um, Taylor Hall is finally healthy. You got the number one pick, Jack Hughes. You got Nico Heischer, who was a number one pick a couple of years ago. So um, the pieces are kind of there. You got had Will Butcher there, who's a good young defenseman for New Jersey. And the one thing that, that I was shaky on from day one was, was the goaltending. And Corey Schneider, yeah, he's a B.C. kid, I know. I'm going to get chirped for this on Twitter. Um, he, for whatever reason, hasn't been able to turn himself around since uh, he had all of his injuries they dealt with a couple of years ago. Um, so that started then. Mackenzie Blackwood being a young kid, I don't think he's quite ready to, um, to be a playoff goaltender and lead a team to a playoff run. So I think not only with them losing, but how they were losing games. A lot of their losses were... Um, not holding on to leads, giving up goals in the last minute of game. So um, I think that this is step one. Step two is going to be moving moving Taylor Hall. And I, we'll get into that next. But um, I, I think eventually this is going to become, become a very young team. It's going to be, become Nico Heischer's team. It's going to be Jack Hughes's team. And... They're going to, they have, the good thing is they have a core to build around and, you know, you can get, get out of some of the contracts that they're, they're kind of attached to, and then they can fully start that rebuild. But, uh, I, I, I would hate to say that I like to see a guy get fired because that's, that's a horrible thing to say, but I think I'm this just is, messing with you. I think this is just step one of the rebuild process. And now New Jersey can finally start from like the ground up per se. And I mean, they even partially have the foundation down. Really. If you really look at it, you have two top end centers. Um, uh, I mean, you have a pretty, I mean, we'll butcher is a piece you can build around a, on the blue line a little bit. So um, I, I do like the pieces they have. I think it's just a matter of, building around it at this point but the the next step is clearly trading taylor hall so why don't we just jump straight into that because you know normally a ray shiro led team is looking to acquire players like this usually around the trade deadline or even in the offseason 
But now, with a former Hart winner, Taylor Hall, being available to all teams, you know, with how much they've been struggling, you just fire their head coach. Now you got this for everyone else to, to view. And this, so I don't know where you want to start with this, Jeff. I, I kind of took the range from you, but do you think it's, do you think Taylor Hall has kind of had an unfair road since he's been drafted into the NHL and where he's been in his, in his career? Yeah, it's been kind of weird because like he came in and he was the number one pick in 2010 for the Oilers and, I wouldn't say he was considered the savior, but, I mean, he was a pretty high-talented kid when he came in. Um, and then whatever happened in Edmonton, you know, they've they've fallen on their, their issues with developing players and whatnot. And then that led to trade, the, the Adam Larson for Taylor Hall straight-up trade, which might be one of the biggest uh, one-sided deals in the history of hockey. Um, and then he comes to New Jersey. They make the playoffs once. Um, I, I don't, yeah, I would agree with you. Like he's kind of gotten a raw end of the deal in terms of what teams he's played for and everything. So, um, you know, and for a kid like this, I mean, he's such a dynamic player. You think of teams that would fit in so well, um, you know, Edmonton's been on there. The one that this show likes more than anything is that he's, that's a strong push is that he could be going to the Colorado Avalanche, right. which would be awesome. Um, but you, I, I think this is a kid you definitely want to see succeed somewhere because he, he comes off as such a really good kid. And um, a big, he'll be a free agent at the end of the year. So uh, I think the quicker New Jersey gets this deal done, it's going to be the best for both sides. Um, I don't think New Jersey wants to wait till the deadline because that's when, you know, your teams that are able to afford what they want, what you're asking for starts to shrink. So I wouldn't be shocked if this deal isn't done by, by the new year. Yeah. I think everyone's been expecting a, a Christmas time deal. So, you know, if you're a Colorado avalanche fan, kind of like we are, um, make sure that you go to bed early so Santa can come bring that gift for you. Um, but I, if let's just say he gets traded to the avalanche right now during this show, where do you see Taylor Hall first time as an avalanche? What line do you see him on? Cause I only see him on the second line. I don't think you can break up what you have on the first line in Colorado. See, I, I disagree with you because I think now, again, this is, alternate universe that this trade has happened. I think Jared Bednar can finally bring up the big three and kind of do what Mike Sullivan did in Pittsburgh, where you put those three on three different lines, and then you could maybe just run teams into the ground with a combination of like McKinnon Hall and then put whoever the hell you want on the other side. Because, I mean, could you imagine that coming up the ice at you? Nathan McKinnon's speed and the speed of his hands with Taylor Hall's speed and finishing ability. I mean, that's absurd. And and then, by the way, you might have Kale McCarr trail in the play late. Like, if that he can is stay the, healthy. Well, yeah, I mean. No, yeah, no, I, I want to see that happen, though. Right, yeah. So, I mean. I think that's how it would do. That's how I would do it. But again, I'm coming from the Mike Sullivan school of breaking up three superstars 
And obviously, I think Miko Ranton is probably your second line wing, and then you move Landeskog to the third line. Um, but, I mean, you're at that point just opening and closing a door for guys at that point. And then that power play, Jesus. Think of that power play. It's, it's pretty mouth-watering. So you could probably do a combination of, like, Caudry, Hall. Um, gee, oh, my God. You're Caudry, probably taking... Hall, Landeskog, Rantanen, and McKinnon. Or you'd still probably need a defenseman out there. But... Yeah, I'd probably put McCarr up there. I'd put Kadri, Landeskog, Rantanen, McKinnon, and McCarr. And then you could, I mean, you could take Landeskog off and put um, Hall to be on the other other wall. So, I mean, like the possibilities are endless if, if, um, if he goes to Colorado. And I, I just think, the only thing that scares me about this whole thing, and this is being a an adopted Colorado Avalanche fan, is that when you start hearing these rumors and they're expected to happen, expected to happen, they all of a sudden don't happen. Like, they, for whatever reason, a deal falls through, teams weren't able to come to terms or whatever. Um, I always think of, I think it was 2014 or 15, when the Penguins were rumored to get Ryan Kessler from the... Uh, from the Vancouver Canucks and those rumors kept going, they kept going. And then we got to three o'clock on the deadline and Ryan Kessler never came to the Pittsburgh Penguins. So that's the only thing that scares me here. But, um, you know, if he goes to the avalanche, we might have to do an emergency podcast and, and do one like <laughs> the day that it gets on stopped. Monday. Yeah. I mean, our schedules are pretty crazy enough as it is, but, that would be pretty awesome, though, if he if he becomes a Colorado Avalanche. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. Um, what do you guys think? Where will Taylor Hall go? Will he go to the Avalanche or will he go to the <clears throat> Pittsburgh Penguins? Um, Ooh, like that. <laughs> not saying it will happen. I, I doubt that that would happen. Or any other you could competitor out there in the NHL right now, let us know at Icy Takes on the Facebook, Twitter, and everything else. Uh, what else you got? Uh, time for Penn's review and preview, I guess. Um, pretty good week for the Penguins last week, huh? Yeah, I mean, when uh, you don't allow goals, it, it helps. Right, yeah. So uh, Tristan Jari had two consecutive shutouts. They won 3 nothing against St. Louis on uh, Wednesday night. Uh, and then uh, on Friday, they beat the Arizona Coyotes 2 nothing. I was in attendance for that one. Um on the Phil Kessel comeback, we'll talk about that as well. Um, and they beat the Detroit Red Wings 5-3. Dave, anything from the three games there that stood out to you that you want to talk about? The one that I'd like to say is maybe or even put, a, put an opinion on out there is Friday night against the Coyotes. And, you know, a lot of people tuning in, not only just for the game, but for the Phil Kessel tribute. And I wasn't feeling the greatest Friday. So I made sure that I was at least awake for the tribute. Um, and then kind of dozed back off. But what I saw early on in the game, it seemed like Evgeny Malkin was just, um, just getting used to skating for the first time in a while. And he just didn't seem to be all there. Um, whether he was just trying to do too much or something was going on with the skates. But as I you know, kind of woke up later in the third period, I saw that they were up one nothing. So 
I figured it was a bit of a grind, and I saw the goal. It was uh, a bit of a grinder goal, and but it was Gina who kind of redeemed himself from what I saw early on in the first. But let's give a lot of praise that's already been thrown out there to Tristan Jari and some of these pucks that not only Wednesday but Friday that he was saving is just superb. Um, the kids, the kids going out there kicking up his left foot to make a save and kicking the puck out out of the you know out of the glass. Um, you know, just stretches everywhere and you know getting in front of the getting in front of the shot and staying strong it's impressive with what i'm seeing from tristan jari yeah i think he's he has been playing absolutely well and the, the one thing that um that i noticed at least on friday is that um the penguins showed that they can win those close games like that too that they can i mean they they always got great goaltending which helps that that out a lot um but to to be able to hang in a one nothing game and hold on to that lead um we saw it a couple weeks ago against the islanders where they lost 5-4 in overtime that they had a two goal lead late they ended up giving it up and then end up losing in overtime um to come back and then play an arizona team which phil kessel was buzzing during that game yeah. he was he yep. was flying you could tell he he wanted that one bad and i mean that's that's for any player that comes back and plays their former team but um but i mean the chances they were getting phil had a backdoor chance that that he did that he didn't finish um i believe uh clayton keller had a couple um point blank opportunities that were stopped so um in terms of that game i think the Penguins showed that they can even win those one nothing, two nothing games, um, even when you know they might not be score, uh, scoring a ton or even getting a ton of chances. So um, that's what I took out of that. The Detroit game, that's a ho hum. Get into Detroit, get out of Detroit with two points. Um, my question for you is: After this week, what do you do with Tristan Jari and Matt Murray? Are you just riding hot hand or is Tristan Jari your number one goaltender? Moving I think forward? all you have to do is just ride the hot hand. I think there's too much over-exaggeration with how this goalie situation should be handled because as much praise as Jari's getting, you it's not that you can see it, but there's got to be a time when he's going to let up some of these goals that he shouldn't be saving. Um, so just... You just got to ride it. Uh, so I think they did a great job, especially, you know, you have these two, you could say, above average goalies. I, would, I just want to throw that with how well Tristan Jari's playing and how not well Matt Murray's playing at the moment when I say above average. Um, so I think right now they did a great job with having Jari Friday night and on the road having Murray go in there Saturday, Saturday night. And now you can reset back to Jari on on Tuesday, today, yesterday, whatever, um, against the Canadians at home, and look to look to ride it there. If Jari gets rocked, you just move on over to with uh, Murray on Thursday. So I just think it's the hot hand. There there should be no title given out until the playoffs. So playoffs start tomorrow. Who's your starting goaltender? Tristan Jari, he's the hot hand, and wow. yeah, he's been playing very well. I like. All right, I didn't watch the game Saturday. 
Yeah, Damn. I didn't see much of it either, either, to be honest with you. I was betting on college football. So, so well. when I saw the, the Detroit Red Wings had goals, my initial thought was Matt Murray was playing today. And that was also because of the, the night before when they just played the Coyotes and Jari played. But it's getting to that point where I when I see numbers on the board that I'm thinking either Matt Murray played or you know something bad happened. <laughs> <laughs> that's just so unfair on so many levels for Matt Murray. It's not even funny. And it, it might be, but at the same it time. It might be. I think it is. Like, I think that's a guarantee it is. At, at the same time, this was the this was the goalie who essentially jumped over Tristan Jari because of all the injuries back in the first cup run, and he just blew everyone away. And even going into the next year with Flurry, was there – Still a debate on who is the number one between the two. No, the... Matt Mur- I think Matt Murray was a full-on number one goaltender in seventeen, and he he didn't really play as many games as a number one goalie usually does because of what you had with Flurry, and he goes on and does his thing again in the playoffs. But now with just the kind of funk that he's in, I I don't want to say, or I'm I'm going to say that the way the teams are attacking him with their shot selection. They're they're targeting, you know, haha, that glove because that's always been the joke that he doesn't have a glove hand. And I wouldn't say it's rattled him, but it's they're they're finding the weaknesses to where Tristan Jari, you're still trying to figure out those weaknesses. So I'd I'd say if the playoffs started you you ride the hot hand, which is Tristan Jari. Final two questions for you. This is how we'll wrap up um this Tristan Jari talk. If you could call Ray Shearer right now, and right now Ray Shearer, from what I've been hearing, is asking for a first-round pick, a high-end prospect, and I believe another pick in there somewhere too, like a second- or third-round pick. If you could offer this year's first-round pick, Sam Poulin, who the Penguins drafted in the first round this past draft, the we'll say a, a conditional second, Based off of Taylor Hall, would re-sign with Pittsburgh, or if it doesn't, it remains a third-round pick. And Tristan Jari, for Taylor Hall, would you do it? I don't think so. And I know that might sound crazy just because of how little still that Tristan Jari has even played for at the at the NHL level. Um I just want to say, I, I think that can be too much for... I mean, did you say that Taylor Hall does resign? Or the So the conditional pick, it would be a second the day of the trade, but what the condition would be if he doesn't resign it in Pittsburgh, it would move to a third. And I, I know this is asking too much, but I need more than one... I need more than this year of Taylor Hall to make that deal, for sure. Um but so let's just say if, you know, he does sign a multi-year deal, two, three years, whatever it is, I'm okay for it. But if it's just for this year, I think you still are trying to figure out who you can lean on for the rest of the season at goalie. And right now, like I said, you're just riding the hot hand. So for, for you to just give up who is the hotter goaltender right now, I think is a little, not unfair, but it's you're in that, you're in that tight spot to where do you really want to, want to give it up to where you might get more offensive firepower by adding Taylor Hall with all the weapons that you have 
but at the same time, you it might not be the defense's fault for some of the goals that are given up when Mar- Matt Murray's been playing. So I'm going to no. say conditional no. How about that? Okay. Um, now, don't forget, too, you have Casey DeSmith down there, which Twitter cried when he went on waivers earlier this year. So um, I would do it just because this window is closing and you have to capitalize on every chance you have with 87 and 71. So I think Matt Murray is good enough to be a number one goaltender. And I don't think he has to be great per se. I just think that they, they have to play a certain style in front of him. And I think they're still almost relying on him to make the big save like they did in 16 and 17 that they're not getting now. So um, if it's me, I'm making the deal just because I fully, I always expect the Penguins to buy in the Crosby Malkin era. So I'm making that deal. I'm getting Taylor Hall to play with Sitter Gino, whoever Jake Gensel doesn't play with that. That's who Taylor Hall is going to play with. Um, And I think that should do it for hockey talk. I had a, Second question for you, but I think I I'm going to pass on it. it. You didn't make me forget it. I'm sorry. So, yeah, no, you're good. I think that's going to wrap it up for us. You ready for MVP? I think so. Who do you got? Oh, I got a good one here, and here's where everybody's going to roll their eyes because they are they know I'm going to talk about something really stupid. The Boston College Eagles, Dave, for the first time in three years, are in the top five of the U.S. The U.S. college hockey polls. They are number four in the USA, the USA Today poll. Um, the USCHO.com, which is the college hockey polls and whatnot, they're number five in. They've won nine in a row. They went into South Bend and beat those fighting Irish in Notre Dame. And uh, oh, to, they've won nine in a row after this weekend. And to top it all off, Spencer Knight is one of the three goaltenders that is going to represent the United States in the World Junior. So... Congratulations to the Boston College Eagles. You guys are off to a great start. Couldn't be more proud of you guys. Let's keep it rolling. Let's get a Frozen Four title and a national championship back to Chestnut Chestnut Hill, Mass. Oh. You know, you, I know you're, you're allowed to breathe when you talk about your MVP. Yeah, I know, but I, I couldn't be more excited because it's been tough the last two years with, uh, with Boston College, and we kind of ran into a little bit of a, a rough spot there, but, you know, with – Coach Jerry York getting into the Hall of Fame. We kind of got everything going. We're back on track where we need to be. Well, there you go. Now, now it's all, now it's all daisies, isn't it? Just sunflowers and daisies. No, we just keep our head down. We're going to keep grinding because the job's not done. We're we're just starting. Okay, I I'll, I'll throw out like a, a little shout out to um, what was it Michigan beating up on Penn State over the weekend in hockey. So. Uh, throw that out there because pseudo Michigan fan over here just because of the slippery rock ties. Yeah, and you suck. I never bought into that. Always, always a fan of Penn State losing, and you can get behind that too. I, I do like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I'll have to give it to the family this week. Um, the the mom, the dad, and um, right now mom has some some of her friends over and family and. I get home today from work, long day at work, and they they are they're doing uh, they did their Thanksgiving today, so I had a, no a second Thanksgiving Jeff uh, turkey ooh, mashed potatoes. Ooh, ooh. 
stuffing, uh, you know, the, the, the basics of, of what you need for a Thanksgiving dinner, uh, had that and, um, no pumpkin pie, unfortunately, but, um, mm-hmm. it was a, a strawberry cheesecake that was bought for, uh, for dessert. So I was okay with that. I think this Wednesday, even though I think I'll be unable to participate, they are doing their Christmas on Wednesday and then they're making a big meal for that too. So I'll probably get leftovers, um, after my bowling league. Cause that's why I can't attend. And then Friday, they're having a birthday dinner for one of my mom's friends so give it out to the family you know keep keeping me fed well and uh you know just trying to keep everyone close together you know have some fun there you go so why are you celebrating so early like do you have something going on at christmas time that uh well i mean i don't uh, one of the one of my mom's friends is from texas so this is uh, their okay. this is their way to get together so they're just trying to do everything all together at once gotcha gotcha yeah. gotcha so, yeah, that's a that, that's a nice one, a good holiday one for the uh, for the show. Yeah, I know we're we're kind of approaching the holiday real quick. Make sure you got yeah. all that gets wrapped up. Yeah, mine aren't close to being wrapped up, but the uh, the mansion definitely has uh, some lights get going up around it. Uh, me and the old man put put uh, lights up yesterday, so I did a pretty good job myself. Okay, all right, so, there you go. Uh, I, I real think quick, that's the show. Yeah, yeah, real quick before we, we say goodbye, I forgot to mention this during the NHL talk. Um, Nathan McKinnon probably said the best sentence of all time in terms of for, uh, for the Avalanche fans, huh? Did you hear oh, about this? Then he'd leave money on the table so this team could win. And I mean, you hear that and you're thinking, all right, give Kale McCarr $10 million. We'll give Landis Gog $10 million, And then we'll give Taylor Hall $11 million. Here you go. And then, you know, they, here you go. Here's six. Have fun. Here's six. <laughs> here's $6 million. You have fun with whatever you and Sidney Crosby do for fun in Nova Scotia. And we're going to go win a cup together. So, love it. And let's, I I think that is worthy of an honorable mention MVP. Yes. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, that's our show. We're, you know, we're the Icy Takes guys. Um, He's Jeff. I'm Dave. You can follow us on Twitter at Icy Takes, I C E Y Takes, all together, one word. Also, follow the the personal Twitters at Big underscore Dave 52. At J Chris underscore 51. Like our Lord and Savior. Oh, man, you can also like us on Facebook, ICT Takes with Jeff and Big Dave. Let us know what you think um, about all of this. You know, we kind of rambled on a, a lot about, uh, not a lot of topics, but enough. So uh, let us know whether you agree or disagree. You think Jeff is wrong. You think I'm wrong. You know, you know that happens a lot between the both of us. So um, until then, uh, hopefully we didn't go off the rails too much, but we'll be on next week. So until then, stay icy. Love you guys. Giddy up, giddy up, giddy up, let's go. Let's look at the show.